John chapter 16. Picking up where we left off last week. This is kind of part two of uh, Todd's message where he introduced this very, this very uncomfortable idea of being hated, right? That's what everybody wants to talk about in a series about real peace, trying to talk about having real peace. You're gonna try to motivate me by talking to, to me about hate and being hated. Well, that seems to bring a lot of peace in my life. Well, let's think about it like this. Hatred is a part of life whether you're a Christian or not. To be a Christian, to know God and to have the promises of Jesus on your life gives you a way to cope with the hatred that comes from the world that you would not have if you did not know Jesus. Because God gives you a new person to fear God instead of man. And God gives you his commendation and his affirmations and you do not need it from man. So when the hatred from the world comes, you know who loves you. You have the believers in God's church and you have God himself who's with you. You no longer need to fear man, but God. John chapter 16. Let me recap a, a little bit of what we've read in chapter 15. He talked about himself being hated. This was Jesus saying they're gonna hate you. And then he talks about this helper that's going to come help you bear witness in the midst of hatred. Let's read it together. 15, starting in verse 18. And we're gonna work our way down to chapter 16, which is gonna continue this flow of thought. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If, if, if they kept my word, they would also keep yours, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If, it had not come, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now, that they, now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause, but... When the helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, verse one of chapter 16, the first four verses, here's where we're gonna be today. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Okay, so where are we gonna go today looking at this? I, I wanna embody the spirit of what Jesus is trying to do for his disciples, these immediate disciples whom he's about to, to leave through his death, his physical uh, leaving. He's preparing their hearts from the moment and the hour he talks about. He's preparing their hearts for the hatred that will come. So, so as, an, as disciples as well here, many years later, let's today prepare our hearts for the hatred that will inevitably come our way. So we're going to be talking about how to prepare our hearts for the hatred from the world. And it comes in many different shapes and sizes. Let me give you a few statistics. As I looked up and I asked about, because we're going to be talking about hatred that leads to actual being killed, martyrdom, 
Jesus is going to be very specific about being killed by people who hate you or hate his disciples because they follow him. And estimated, now this is, I, I looked at how they got some of these numbers, and an estimated amount of Christians that we know of that has been specifically killed for following Jesus since this time. So about over 2,000 years, an estimated of 69 to 70 million Christians have been killed as a result of following Jesus. You do the math, divide that up, you know, uh, 2,000 times 365, you divide that, divides 70 billion by that number, you get around 100 Christians a day that have been killed for their faith since Jesus left. In the first century, the first 300 years after Jesus, persecution rose in the time through the Roman Empire that was horrible. Estimated about 2 million Christians killed for believing in Jesus. Uh, That was like a statistic of 30 to 40% chance you'd get killed for following Jesus if you became a Christian during that day. In the last few hundred years of our lifetime, far more Christians have been killed on planet Earth today. More Christians are dying in recent years than even in the years beginning the hostility that Jesus is beginning to talk about here. Two million have been killed in the last three, uh, one, I'm sorry, one million have been killed in the last 10 years, as far as we know. And we surmise or estimate about 100,000 people are killed every year for being Christians, specifically because they believe in Jesus. Now, this seems foreign to us because where we live, we're not in a place where we're, we're faced with death. We're not in some of the countries, and there's close to 60 countries that has banned Christianity in some form, the Bible being banned. And, and I'm talking extreme to very high levels of danger of being a Christian, and it's only going to grow the hatred for Christianity in the world. Why? Because the world lies under the sway and the power of the evil one. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. The world hates God. Why? Because the devil hates God and he is the power at work behind things to work somehow the world to get to a place where Christians will become the target of persecution. It's always been this way, continues to grow. You don't hear much about it. Why? Because the devil controls the world and you're not going to hear much about sympathizing with Christians who are being killed. Even though it's being estimated that Christians are probably the most uh, persecuted and the most victimized people on planet earth. So how do we prepare our heart for this type of hatred? This would be a point where Jasper would make us feel bad for living in America and, and not experiencing persecution and somehow make us feel like we're a subpar Christian. Can I read something to you? What Jesus just said last week? But when the helper comes, who I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. A promise that when the helper comes, they'll bear witness about him. Do you know what happens when Jesus dies? What happens to the disciples? These 12, where do they go? Where do they be found? Scatter. They lapse in their faith. They go away, cowardice, and they leave. Wait, but they're in the Middle East. They, they're already in a place where they're suffering persecution and they're willing to stand up. No, they're human. They're weak. And without him, they can do 
nothing. I don't care what your nationality is, what your background is, how spoiled we are, or whatever, or how poor you are, how persecution is surrounding you, whatever it may be, if you are a human being, the reality is without him, you can do nothing. But when the helper comes into your life, regardless of your nature and the sins that easily beset you and the obstacles that you are up against based off where you live in the world and the culture you're in, the spirit is more powerful and abiding in Jesus will prepare every single one of us for the hour that will come or may come to our life. So how do we prepare our hearts for the hatred that comes from the world? First things that first, protect it with truth. It being your heart. And I'm talking about preparations. Protect it with truth. Not knowing truth is detrimental for these moments. Detrimental to your soul when hatred comes and pressure from the world and the temptation to fear man comes into your life. He says this, Jesus, verse one of chapter 16, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now you're seeing like a huge, big, overwhelming purpose of Jesus for his disciples. I'm saying these things, what things, the last things that he has just said about being hated and how they'll hate you. I'm trying to prepare your heart and I've told you these things to keep you from falling away, implying that if you did not know these things and if you did not have the preparation, you probably would stumble and fall and give up. Same type of terminology that is talked about when he talks about the 5,000 that followed him when he was feeding them. And they were, he called them disciples who were literally following him. Everywhere he walked, he had these thousands of people that followed him. But in chapter six, what happened of John? Jesus starts to talk about drinking his blood and eating his body. And he says things that are really hard for people to understand. And they're like, yeah, wait, this isn't what we signed up for. Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said, do you take offense to this? And then, then it says this later in chapter six, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This is what Jesus is trying to prevent. I'm trying to prevent the turning away and walking away from me and many circumstances in your life because it's really the devil at work and the powers of darkness at work to get you to give up on your faith. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. How many things are in scripture that you've, you've probably never read? All the, 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 the juicy truth that's sitting there that could protect your heart and make you the man or woman that God wants you to be that you've just never seen, right? Because there's no importance to like get it in here and prepare the heart. What happens to the soul when we begin to eat, sleep, and breathe God's word and it starts to permeate our thinking and renew our minds and prepares us for the hours that have been churning us like a blender? What would happen to these disciples if God had not, Jesus had not told these things to them and they did not have this truth welled up in their hearts, this preparation, this truth about being hated, when that hatred actually came, they would not have the knowledge to know what to think about these weird things that are happening to them. Assuming God has left them, forsaken them, so why even bother? I'm leaving, I'm going back to fishing, which is what happened after the crucifixion. What did the disciples do? Well, we don't know what else to do. Our savior died, our master died. Let's just go back to doing what we're doing. Jesus shows up. Showers them with mercy and grace, tells the angel, go get Peter, especially Peter. Peter's wallowing because he denied Jesus. Actually, Jesus said you would, 
right? You're going to scatter, right? I'm telling you these things, but it's going to happen anyway. You're going to scatter. And he says, wait, pray 40 days in amount of time. The spirit's going to come and the spirit comes. And what do you see through the book of Acts? You see these apostles like men now who are suffering all manner of evil and persecution, bearing witness about Jesus. You see, the spirit has come into life and provided them the power to do these things in the midst of this type of real hatred, bringing real peace. And that spirit that was in them is the same spirit in us. So our heart should be encouraged, not overwhelmingly fearful and scared of hatred that might come our way. We're preparing our hearts for the hatred that is in the world, and we're told it is in the world. First thing we must do is protect it with truth. Not knowing these things is detrimental. And I don't mean this truth. I mean all of God's truth. It's designed to make us the man and woman that will be faithful and a worshiper of God. And we must renew our minds with it, and that's how we protect our hearts and prepare ourselves. Jesus talks about the soil who hears the truth and receives it, but yet two of them give up. One of the soils gives up when tribulation comes in and tests them and they're like, it's too hard, right? The rocky ground, the sun comes and and beats the the plant down and it withers. And you have the the soil and thorny ground that's tempted by all the cares of the world and gives up. Then you have the example of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness who grumbled and complained against God and constantly put him to the test and they could never pass the test and they were always putting God to the test, questioning him if he was actually good and actually cared. And they always went astray in their hearts. This is what Jesus is talking about. I'm saying these things to you to keep you from falling away. Peter, Andrew, James, Bartholomew, from what we know from history, crucified. Bartholomew whipped, then crucified. Thomas, the disciple, doubting Thomas, stabbed to death with spears, from what we know. James, the brother of Jesus, thrown off the temple by his own people and then stoned to death after he broke both his legs, reportedly from history. Philip, also stoned to death. Paul and James, both beheaded. Mark, we know from history, was dragged to death through the streets. In the next 300 years after this teaching of Jesus, some 200 million Christians killed for following him. We must protect our hearts with the truth of what what Jesus is telling us about the hatred and what to expect from the world. Second thing we must do with this, sober it, what it, our heart, sober it with reality. Hostility is inevitable. Sober your hearts with reality. Hostility is inevitable. Don't let it be that one thing you choose not to look at because you just don't like the way it feels and so you ignore it all the time. No, let's look at it. Let's prepare for it. Let's understand it. Sober your hearts with reality. He says this in verse two. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming that when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. It's not fun to dwell on this. Who wants to hear this? How is this motivating and bringing peace? But what it's doing is preparing our hearts for the inevitable reality. The world hates us because it lies under the sway and the power of the evil one. And the evil one from the beginning knows that his time is short and is doing everything he can to destroy God's people, to destroy his image or destroy your faith. And he will use anything at his disposal to do that. And in this case, people who think they're doing the right thing in killing and getting rid of Christians. He says this, they, who's they? He's talking about their fellow brothers, the Jews. 
they will put you out of the synagogue. You'll be thrown out. And he says, indeed, the hour, as in, this is a prophecy, a time is coming. There's going to be an hour, their hour that's coming. And by their hour, they think this is going to be like a duty that's noble that they're doing for the Lord. The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. I cannot help but to think about the life of Paul, from Saul to Paul. Saul, this great Pharisee you see in the book of Acts, who is, who is there when Stephen is stoned to death, fulfilling what Jesus said. Stephen speaks to his people. He confronts them with truth. He tells them that Jesus is the one that they crucified. And instead of being cut to the heart with conviction, they gnash their teeth at Stephen. They run to him and they kill him with stones. And then they take the, the clothes, the cloths, and they lay it at the feet of Saul who approved of this execution. And in their minds, they all did the duty of God. This is the definition of care, taking God's name in vain. You're carrying God's name for a purpose that isn't really his. It's more than just saying a cuss word. And they're guilty of taking the Lord's name in vain by killing his own people. But they're doing this thinking they're offering service to God. The disciples were prepared for this. They were prepared for it. Why? Because Jesus had warned them about it. And by extension, we get the warning as well. Saul then meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus appears. Who are you, Lord? It is I, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He's blinded. He goes and he joins the disciples. He's unblinded and now he can see what a beautiful picture. And now Saul becomes Paul and he was becoming like the greatest spokesperson for the gospel, bringing this gospel message to everyone, Jew first and then to the Greek. And then Paul says this, as a Christian, when he appears to defend himself, to Agrippa in Acts 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the custom and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time and if they are willing to testify According to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, of, O king. Why is, it, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? And then he says this, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities." You hear his own description about how he was. I can remember those days in raging fury against these Christians who were blaspheming the name of God, who deserved to die, and I went as far as killing them and approve of their killing and their imprisonments. Oh God, aren't you proud of me until God shows up and says, what are you doing? You think you're doing the right thing, but you are killing the very people you think you belong to. 
And Paul, Lord, what would you have me do? And you see a beautiful testimony of Paul as the foremost sinners, as an example of someone who could receive the mercy of God. So when we look out and we see in our own day, Christians being beheaded by people who think that they are offering service to God, they are being killed, they are being chased, and they are being beheaded. Even in our very day, even the people with the sword who are doing the killing are coming to know that Jesus is the one whom they are persecuting. Jesus is the one they should be following. Jesus is the only way. And Jesus is showing up and he is saving the lives of many and many people today, just like Saul. But only because of the enduring, pure testimony of Christians who love God more than the praise of man, who are willing to testify and bear witness about Jesus Christ in the face of this type of hatred. Otherwise, it would not probably come to these areas. We want to protect your heart for the hatred that's coming. Sober it with reality. Hostility is inevitable. How about this next one? Soften it with compassion. I'm going to bring it home, right? Bear with me. We're going to bring it home. We haven't quite talked about what we experience because we're, we don't know what it's like to stand in the face of being killed but soften your heart with compassion for when whatever hatred comes to your way for being a Christian, whether it's online or whether it's face-to-face, soften it with compassion. They're lost. You aren't. What does Paul say? He says, they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Jesus, earlier in chapter 14, assured his disciples, you know me you know my father. Even if you don't have all the theological answers, I'm assuring you that because of your belief in me, the father knows you, you know me, I know you. And so they've just got to experience this wonderful, wonderful, beautiful affirmation of Jesus about how they belong to him and they know him and they have this relationship with him. And then, and then in this moment, as he's talking about the people that will hate Jesus and, and will hate you, I would imagine in their hearts and in their minds, they're starting to well up with anger, listening to this, getting mad, even at their own brothers in Israel and the people are, oh, and then Jesus says, Hey, they do these things because they don't know me. They don't know my father. And I think about Jesus looking down from the cross as people are gambling over his clothes and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How can you and I be prepared so that when an hour comes our way of experiencing hostility and hatred, one of the things we have to do is soften our hearts with compassion and have a, have a love for the lost grow. So when you see their faces, you aren't afraid, but you're pitying them, knowing that their temporary hour, our temporary going to end moment of hurting you is gonna expel themselves into an eternity of suffering although you are only experiencing an hour of suffering and your soul is being propelled into an eternity of peace. Who are the ones to be pitied? Is it the Christians who are dying? Because guess what? We're all gonna die. You could give up on Jesus because you are afraid of the hatred that will come to you and still experience hatred from someone breaking into your house wanting to steal stuff from you and kill you dead. Though that death won't feel as purposeful as the one that you would lay down for Jesus. Life still filled with pain and suffering. Jesus makes our suffering purposeful. 
So we prepare our hearts by softening it with compassion for those who hate us. We don't get in fights and wars with them. We don't continue to bait and get on the same level with them and point the finger and say that they're the problem. How dare they believe the things they believe and and vote the way they vote and do the things they do. Yeah, they do not know the Father and they do not know him and they don't need Christians pointing the finger telling them to get the law right, which we can't get right. They need a savior that will come in and pierce through their heart and tell them what the truth is. And they need people who are willing to let themselves be killed and suffer and hated and all they see in return is just love and compassion and care and gentleness and not reviling in return because that's what Jesus did and that's what's changed our heart when we look at the face of Jesus and we see him suffering innocently yet loving us through it all. God soften our hearts with compassion for the lost. And then this final thing, prepare your hearts by readying it for the hour. Remembering is crucial. All of this, none of this matters. None of this matters if in the moment you're facing hatred at all, you don't remember it. And in the moment, all you can think about is what others are thinking about you or might think about you and what pain might be coming your way. Look what Jesus says in verse four. He says, but I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, remember their hour of getting to serve God, which they're confused about. I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And then he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. In other words, you're hearing these things for the first time because I've been with you the last three years, physically with you, but now since I'm leaving, now it's gonna be really confusing when the hate that's been coming to me and I've kind of been in between you and it, now when it comes to you and you don't see me standing near you, you're gonna be tempted to think that maybe I've abandoned you, that I'm not with you, I don't care about you, and then you might fall away, you might give up on your faith, you might be like all these examples that I've given you in my word to not be like, you might be like that, so I'm telling you these things to prepare your heart because the number one thing you should care about in your life is fighting the good fight of faith. And like Paul at the end of his life, when he's talking to Timothy, he says, I've kept the faith. The time for my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. Nothing deterred me from it. And by the way, Paul, go read the list of the things that he went through for Christ. Five times, he says, I received the 40 slashes minus one. Jesus was flogged 39 times. And you hear about the flogging on Jesus' back. Paul experienced that five times. And so when Paul, at the end of his life, knew his beheading's coming, he's like excited. I've kept the faith. I finished the race. Now, therefore, there is a crown of righteousness waiting for me in heaven, but not only for me, but also to all those who love his appearing. Church, we may not be facing, we may not be facing a death, a beheading. Some of us may. Some of us may find ourselves in that situation, but we are still facing hatred and hostility from the world. We are facing people who are trying to silence you, who are in a very shrewd way trying to make you not want to speak up and be bold for Jesus. And we're being tempted to think that there's a way that we can find it, 
We can find a way to say the things of truth of scripture of Jesus and have the world love us and not hate us and call us bigots and look at us like evil people. I can't stand that. There has to be a way for me to have my cake and eat it. Jesus saying it's inevitable. They're going to hate you. I want you to stand true. Be true to me. Say what people need to say, what they need to hear. Bear witness about me. Speak the truth in love always, but be ready and know that it's coming. And like Peter says to the Christians who are experiencing this type of hate in his, his letter to them, he says, don't think it's strange when the fiery trial comes up against you to test you. You see, the issue isn't the fact that you're going through the pain. The issue is the way you think about it when it comes. Don't think it strange. Right there, something's happening to you, hatred from the world because you're a Christian. The moment you think something's wrong, something's not right here, is the moment you're on the path to falling away. And so Jesus is saying, you need to have an awareness and think soberly and rightly and understand really what's coming up against you and be ready for it. The world hates you like it hated me. It needs the gospel Remain faithful wherever you are at work, online, with your family, at school, amongst one another, out and about, shine the light and the hope of Jesus and do not be afraid of the hate that comes your way. I need to make one more statement. Talk about one more thing. I believe there is far too much self-induced deceptive hate we are bringing on ourselves that's not under the name of Jesus, and we're confusing it as if it is. Taking and fighting fights, political fights, and very specific things that have nothing to do with faith in Jesus, and the world is hating us for it, and we're saying, look, Jesus, I'm being martyred for you. All the while, Jesus is like, you haven't said anything about the gospel. They're not hating you because you love me. They're hating you because you're taking another side of the argument and you're shooting across the battlefield over, a, over a, a, a controversy that has nothing to do with my gospel. People should hate you because you love Jesus and you're trying to tell them that Jesus loves them and that they're sinners and they need to repent. That's the hatred that you should know he's talking about here. Now let me end it with encouragement. We are not handicapped by the flesh or by our position in the world. We are empowered by the spirit to do the things that we are unable to do. And this situation is something that we'll never do in our own strength. We have to rely on the power and the grace and the ever abiding presence of the spirit, which then makes what? Abiding in Jesus all the more real and purposeful. Let's be these type of disciples, church. Let's pray. Father, you know <clears throat> all the things that we need to hear. You know what every heart needs. Would you be kind and patient with us? Would you help us in this moment to serve and honor you in every aspect of our life? And my brother or sister who may be experiencing some type of subtle hostility or very overt hostility that you would strengthen them in the moments to see it's such a beautiful and wonderful and honorable thing to be hated for your cause. Overwhelm us with that glory and that honor so we can have the right perspective of what's happening to us. 
and make us the people for the hour and for the moment. Help us not to let the enemy win with his voice in our head right now that's trying to make us scared and dwell on the hard and hurtful and painful things that could happen to us, but help us to entrust our souls to a faithful creator to you while doing good. Thank you for Jesus and your love. In his name, amen.